a biotech instant triple, short sellers attack, and an Obamacare death spiral, because this is where the money is. Hi everyone, welcome to Healthcare's edition of Where the Money Is. I'm David Williamson, and I'm joined by my fellow healthcare analyst in arms, Michael Douglas. Michael, how are you doing today? Fantastic. What a crazy day on the market. It's a wild day. We have a jam-packed show. <laughs> We're going to be breaking news on this show uh, that, that's really been happening throughout today. It sort of dominated our, our, our preparation. We always try to bring the, the hottest healthcare stories of the week, but, but a lot of them are happening this afternoon. Right now. <laughs> exactly. One of the things I, I want to touch on before we get into the show, though, I came across this story earlier in the week, and it, it, it just sort of struck me. And there was a recent survey sponsored by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, and they found that almost 50% of Americans believed at least one medical conspiracy. Now, Eric Oliver, who is the professor of political science at the University of Chicago, authored this study, mm-hmm. and, and he was saying the most common one that people believed was the idea that the FDA – deliberately withholds natural cures for cancer because of secret pressure from the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, Michael, what are, what are your thoughts? Well, you well, know, I guess, I guess to, not only is there a psychology about it, but also are there any, are there any uh, health conspiracies that, that you believe are maybe health fallacies? <laughs> well, uh, gosh, I mean, there, there are, it's interesting, right? Because you hear a lot of sort of old wives' tales about health care at one point or another. You know, an apple a day keeps the doctor away and things like that. And sometimes you believe that they're literally true. Um, mm-hmm. And I've only found out in the last few years that some of these... That you have to go to the dentist despite eating your apple? Uh, yeah, shocking, <laughs> right? Um, so... You know, what, I, I don't. I don't know that I believe in any medical conspiracies. I don't think I do. Uh, I hope I don't. Um, but you know, would encourage folks. Uh, you know, email us at hcfool.com if uh, you know what's the weirdest healthcare uh, thing that you believe that you found was debunked or that you don't know if it is it's true or not. It could just be an old wives' tale, like you said. Yeah. You know, stuff about chicken soup uh, being able to to help with the common cold. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's true. I don't know if it's ever proven though. I always feel better. Yeah. Well, that's fair <laughs> enough. All right, well, let's move on to the show. Uh, huge week. Let's start with our, our first headline, and there's nothing that's really going to be bigger than this. I grabbed the Huffington Post because I thought they uh, they really went... Uh, Encapsulated it. Yeah, just the amount of drama behind it, which is two judges strike death blow against Obamacare. Now, this is the D.C. Circuit Court. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the full court. It was a three-judge panel. Two of the three essentially voted to strike away subsidies for people on the state-based exchanges that the federal government was running. So this would be 36 of the 50 states. Yeah. uh, Fortunately, perhaps for people who are uh, supporters of the law, um, the same day, the Fourth Circuit Court, based in my hometown of Richmond, Virginia, um, went exactly the opposite way and said, no, we 100% uphold these. So really kind of a funny funny juxtaposition, two rulings coming down within hours of each other that said the exact opposite thing. And it'll be interesting to see. The administration will probably push for the full D.C. Circuit Court uh, to listen to to the case, which would, in theory, based on appointments, favor uh, the administration to more of a seven to four turn. Mm-hmm. Um, the two people who voted against the the law and the two out of three were not Obama administration appointments. Right. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But if it stands, and these because of really what was a typo in the law mm-hmm. uh, that said that the subsidies are only valued uh, uh, are only allowed on states that create their own exchanges. Yeah. 
we could actually see the the famed Obamacare death spiral, right? Well, potentially. I mean, the the, the issue is that when you look at a uh, subsidy eligible population, right? About eighty seven percent of people on the exchanges got some kind of subsidy. Okay, so when you look at that number and you think, okay, would these people have bought insurance if they didn't get subsidies? Perhaps even more, would they continue to have insurance if they don't get subsidies? Um, that then begs the question, okay, are these sometimes, let's say, a little bit poorer people, many of whom may skew younger, may skew younger, uh, then going to not get insurance in the future? Is that risk pool going to get consecutively older yeah. and sicker? And is that then going to cause premiums to just get jacked up without any sort of subsidy kind of holding them at some lower level? And uh, just don't know. But it's definitely a humongous risk for the law if it stands. Uh, and, it, you know, I don't think anyone should necessarily freak out about this, but it is something to watch to mm-hmm. see how this gets resolved. It'll likely go to the Supreme Court, just like the last one did. So yeah. we'll be watching it. This is going to be in litigation for it, a while. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it will. Yes, it will. So we'll keep watching the Affordable Care Act, especially as it opens enrollment again this fall. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to our next headline. And, you know, we don't put a lot of studies up, uh, but uh, there is a study that recently came out that said there is further evidence that cannabis reduces tumor growth And uh, this is from the University of East Anglia, Mm -hmm. uh, which is in the UK. And it was not just cannabis, but it was the main psychoactive ingredient, which is THC. Uh, And and it's going through basically the cannabinoid pathway. Uh, This backs up um, essentially earlier research as well. This was actually in breast cancer. There was some brain cancer research done by a Spanish university in 2009 Mm -hmm. uh, that that saw sort of similar results. we don't usually. I mean, we we talk about these sort of early, early preclinical. It's always very interesting. It's interesting, yeah. exactly. But it's not necessarily applicable. And any findings from this would be a decade away from really getting advanced. But there is a company that does have sort of a cannabinoid platform mm-hmm. uh, of drugs. They're they're not going after tumor shrinkage, right? but they are going after cancer-related pain and a number of other indications. Right, uh, and that's, that's Jibby Pharma. Uh, when you look at their, their uh, two key drugs, Sativax and Epidiolex, um, these are drugs for things like um, multiple sclerosis, uh, induced spasticity, um, the Dravet syndrome, which is a, um, an orphan indication. Yep. Um, and so it, it's a stock with, with some really interesting opportunities. Um, it's its drugs are in kind of mid and late stage trials uh, with the FDA. Um, it's a stock that I think is is pretty expensive right now. There's a lot of sort of future optimism baked into it, but it's one that people who are interested in the space want to watch very closely uh, because they do have this, to some extent, sort of broad and deep pipeline. Mm-hmm. And, and I do want to stress that I, I think their technology is really interesting, and that's yeah. sort of the path these studies are going. They're not encouraging people to self-medicate. Right, no, at not all. at all. <laughs> they're, they're trying to discover new pathways mm-hmm. that uh, or new mechanisms, essentially, that you can attack through synthetic drugs like what GW Pharma is doing. Right, exactly. All right, well, let's move on to our final headline, and this is the, uh, we, we teased it in the intro, this is the Instant Biotech Triple, Yep. and it's on its way to a biotech quadruple, It's, really. it's very close. This comes, this comes from Reuters, uh, with, <laughs> with maybe the least exciting headline, which is, Puma says cancer drug meets trial goal, shares sore. I think that kind of undersells it a little bit, but they had good phase three data for a breast cancer drug, Naratinib. Yep, and uh, that's actually really their only drug. When you look at their pipeline, they've got uh, Naratinib or Naratinib. I'm not sure exactly. Hey, you know, potato, potato. Yeah. Pronunciation is always a thing. Um, but it's in a variety of different indications that they're looking at for, including non-small cell lung cancer. Um, but 
the data. 33% improvement in disease-free survival compared to placebo after people had been um, medicated uh, previously with erosious herceptin. Um, so really substantial benefit. Shares skyrocketed on it. Uh, clearly there's a lot of expectation that this drug will ultimately be approved. They're looking for um, uh, an FDA uh, submission in first uh, first half 2015. Yep, and this was considered the data was pretty much a best case scenario. Absolutely. Uh, clearly, the, the the market has undervalued this. Uh, there is a successful track record here. It's mm-hmm. going to be interesting to see what happens with the stock. Uh, the people running this company, Puma Biotech, mm-hmm. are the previous people who ran Cougar Biotech, right? Uh, which had a successful drug and was was bought out. Uh, so it might be you know I, there are a lot of rumors that Pfizer, which uh, essentially gave this drug away to Puma uh, yeah. for a royalty stream may actually decide, hey, maybe we should go the other way and, and bring it back in-house. Uh, Pfizer certainly could use another drug. What's interesting, too, about this drug is that it is used after mm-hmm. um, its competitors, so it sort of has this open space. Now, there are some side effect issues, so I, mm-hmm. I, I do think uh, there could be some tolerability concerns for, for patients on this, but, but it's such a nice lift in terms of uh, survival. Well, and, and that's the thing is, you know, you don't really necessarily see a lot of cancer cures. Yep. But what, you, what this can do is sort of after other things have been used, here's sort of another, another level that we can use. Um, and so I think it's, uh, it's a really interesting opportunity and it's one we're going to want to watch closely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's move on to our game for the day which is going to be full in the blank. All right. Always a favorite. And we've had a lot of earnings. It's earnings season. Yep. And we thought we would uh, we would play a little fool in the blank with them. So let's start with our first slide. Amber, if you could cue that up, please. Our first fool in the blank, GlaxoSmithKline. Quarterly earnings were blank. Very underwhelming. Yeah, I, I was going to say predictably terrible, <laughs> but I, I, I think... They surprised a lot of people just how bad they were. Shares are down about 5% today. That's a big move for a big pharma. Absolutely. And guidance is, is pretty ugly. Yeah. And their headline drug, Advair, not doing well at all. Yeah. And the replacements for it, Breo and Onoro, also not doing very well. Right. Well, and it's interesting, and, and I have to, we have to pat ourselves on the back a little bit because we talked about Glaxo in the COPD space and mm-hmm. in the asthma space with Advair and Anoro and uh, Breo just a, cu- a few weeks ago here on Where the Money Is. And what we talked about was the fact that Advair looked like it was kind of on its way out. Of course, there's a, a final patent expiration coming up in a couple of years. Um, a 19% fall year over year to uh, 528 pounds. Perhaps not. Uh, perhaps a little bit bigger than I was expecting, but yep. uh, you know. Then you looked at Breo and Anoro, and Breo has been, which are supposed to help kind of plug this hole or help plug it. Breo has been on the market since Q4 of 2013, turned in five million pounds of sales, and Anoroleptic has been on, came on the market in Q2 of 2014. So we can't really draw any conclusions yet, but also five million pounds. I mean, that's just, that's nothing. Yeah, it's 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 pretty terrible. Yeah. And Breo was the one that had more potential mm-hmm. of the two. So watching it track so badly compared so to poorly. where its estimates were, and you know, I, I filmed a one-off video cautioning investors on Theravance, which gets royalties from mm-hmm. these drugs. It's sort of an interesting dividend play in, in the space. And I said, this is, a, and it's splitting itself in two. And there's going to be a dividend company and a biopharma. Right. I said, listen, this is probably a special situation you want to avoid because these drugs aren't tracking like their successes. Yeah. And the the downside risk, I think, is worse. And so I, I just, 
I think it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and what may have been even worse for Glaxo, and of course, when, when your big headliner does poorly, you do poorly as well. You know, core operating profit of 1.4 billion pounds is down 25%, down 14% operationally. Um, you know, they also said, well, you know, we're guiding for no growth in either sales or our core measure of earnings this year. They canceled mm-hmm. a big share buyback uh, to the tune of one to two billion pounds. I mean, this is really, sub- I mean, this is really substantial losses. Yep. What's even more interesting to me is they're kind of one of their standout successes Oncology drugs, which yeah. they're giving away to Novartis. I know that. Well, they're that, selling them to Novartis. That, that made me laugh. Forty-two uh, percent growth for the quarter. Uh, I, I indicated that that was that was this big silver lining they were touting. Like, look how great this is, but we're waving it goodbye now for for more vaccines. Yeah, uh, which while durable, don't necessarily have the upside that that some of these oncology assets. Well, and have. when you look at the, when you look at Novartis's uh, vaccine portfolio, it was down fourteen percent year over year yeah. uh, when they reported. I think last week. I mean that. The, it really looks like Novartis got the better side of this deal, for sure. Even though Glaxo got a lot more money out. Well, and the one thing I, the, we haven't talked about yet, China. Oh, right. right. <laughs> yep, let's talk. I mean, sales were down, what, a quarter? 25% yeah. to 129 million pounds for the quarter. It's so bad there. Analysts on the call were asking if, Gla- asking if GlaxoSmithKline's brand was so damaged they would be better off to find someone else to distribute their drugs in China. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, there's just been scandal after investigation after scandal in China. And so... Um, really a rough quarter for Glaxo. Not good at all. No. Not good at all. All right. Maybe that's what we should uh, should have fooled in the blank with. <laughs> all right. The next fool in the blank is also related to earnings, and it's Wall Street was blank in regards to Biogen's second quarter. Ecstatic. Absolutely ecstatic. And with good reason. I'm going to say embarrassed because yeah. they, they undersold what it should have been. That's true. That's true. The market's uh, happy. I think yeah, the market yeah. should be embarrassed. <laughs> that's <laughs> fair enough. No, I mean, you know, look at revenue of $2.4 billion, up 40% uh, year over year and uh, 14% sequentially from first quarter. I mean, that's just incredible. And their uh, adjusted EPS was up 52% year over year. I mean, you don't yep. see that kind of growth. Well, we thought previously outside of Gilead, but, uh, <laughs> but here we go. Yeah, it was headlined by their oral multiple sclerosis drug, Tecfidera. Absolutely. Oh, more than tripled. More yeah. than tripled. On its way to a, to a quadruple, to yeah. up to $700 million for the quarter. Germany exceeded, I think, all expectations yeah. here, the company's expectations. Everyone's helped push that forward. Avonex didn't grow that much, but still, what, $775 million just about? Yeah, it, it, was, it was roughly even. And to, to Sabri. Yeah, uh, it, which is interesting because with Tecvidera's growth, and by the way, looking just at Tecvidera sequentially, right, $505 million in the first quarter, I mean, yeah. that's, that's growth, good growth, you know, quarter on quarter as well. But, you know, there was a lot of worry that Tesabri would get um, kind of cannibalized by Tecvidera, and to some extent, Avonex would too. But what you've seen instead, you know, Tesabri turned a nice 21% sequential bump up mm-hmm. to over $500 million this quarter. It's not growing like Tecvidera. It's not as big as Tecvidera, but it's still doing just fine. And the company just got Plagrity approved yeah. over in the EU. And some some interesting things. Taking a look at it too, uh, going through their call. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they they talked about tax inversions. They were asked. They they said, you know, you can't even open the newspaper without reading about one. Right. They've talked about it. Uh, they they made that clear. But they also said any tie up would have to make business sense for them. Right. It wouldn't just be about getting lower taxes abroad. Right. Uh, so that'll be interesting to watch going forward. Um, they also are looking for more acquisitions potentially. Mm-hmm. I think more of the bolt-on kind than the, than the mega deal as well. And I think we should talk about guidance though too, right? Because, because probably just like Glaxo, they really moved on the guidance. Yeah, right? that, that's where really where they moved the needle. Uh, earnings per share bumped up 
to a midpoint of $13 per share in earnings, up from a midpoint of $11.40. That is just a massive jump. Gigantic. And, and what revenue growth is targeted to be uh, between 38 to 41%, up from 26 to 28%. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and when you have revenue growing, you know, potentially in the low 40s, uh, you know, year over year, that's just for a full year, that's just incredible. Because you expect yeah. some lumpiness, maybe quarter to quarter, but this is just a fantastic quarter for. Biogen, they're very clearly firing all cylinders. And, and I think it really helps highlight the difference between big biotech and big pharma and yeah. where they are right now. I mean, we just talked about GlaxoSmithKline a second ago. What a mess that company's quarter was. Mm-hmm. Absolute mess. Now here's Biogen firing on all cylinders. And I expect all of the big biotechs to be firing on all cylinders. Absolutely. And we'll know more about that soon. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. All right. Let's move on to our final fool in the blank for today. Zydelig which I guess is how you pronounce it. Yeah. It's literally brand new. Zydelig's approval means blank for Gilead. I'm going to say cash money. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was... Uh, I'm going to say validation. Yes, that's true, uh, because this is the first drug okay. in their oncology okay. pipeline yep. um, that they got approved. And it's it's a pretty broad oncology pipeline. So. And it, it was just approved. Yes, like, like this afternoon approved. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was approved in combo with uh, Rituxan, uh, also known as Rituximab, uh, which is a Roche drug um, in uh, chronic lymphocytic leukemia. Um, it's also approved in uh, 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 non-Hodgkin lymphoma, B-cell, and uh, small lymphocytic lymphoma, which is SLL. Um, when you look at the drug, I mean, like Roche's drug, turned in $7.7 billion last year. Now, we're not, uh, we're not claiming that... Um, Zydelic is going to do nearly that well. I mean, the, the numbers I've seen are kind of in the $1 to $1.5 to $2 billion a year annual peak sales range, mm-hmm. which is still pretty darn good. Really good. Yeah. Um, Gilead will be happy with that. Yeah. What's interesting, though, is you know, they, they did get hit with a black box warning, so they that's did. always a concern. Um, then again, Roche's drug also has a black box warning. Yep. So uh, That's sort of what makes pharmacyclics and, and J&J's uh, Imbruvica a little different. They're going to be going head-to-head. Yeah. And Imbruvica is more expensive. It's yep. priced at 8200 versus 7200 mm-hmm. for Gilead's new drug here. But it is a bit of a cleaner profile. Yeah. Um, so, you know, how much uptake will be, it's kind of hard to say right now. Um, but I think it's a nice, tick, uh, a nice kicker for Gilead. You know, it, it's funny. When you look at Gilead, is this Truvada? No. Is this Savaldi? No. These are the really huge opportunities. But this is still a potential blockbuster with a fair amount of sales in it. It's a nice extra bit. Yeah, it, it's sort of crazy to call a blockbuster a base hit. Yeah. I, I think we're actually underselling it in that sense. Yeah. But it, it proves out that Gilead is more than just an antiviral company. Yep, and we're definitely going to want to watch the rest of that sort of broad, deep uh, oncology pipeline as it develops. Yep, and we're going to uh, come back to fool.com because we're going to be just diving into Gilead's earnings too. Absolutely. Uh, in, in a much longer longer show. So if you're interested in Gilead, <laughs> please watch that. Yeah, you'll know everything. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. We got a great question this week for mm-hmm. the mailbag from Ryan H. It was, it was really long. So, Ryan, I hope you don't mind me. I, I, I cut it down a little yeah. bit here. I had, I had to trim it, but it was, it was great. And we appreciate all questions. Please email them to hc at fool.com. Now, the question from Ryan says, do you think hospitals are going to be able to start buying expensive medical devices and machines now that their balance sheets are starting to profit from the new healthcare system, and are people going to finally get back on board with Intuitive Surgical when they hear that these hospitals have more potential spending money than previously thought? 
So, Ryan, great question. You gave us an excuse, actually, because Intuitive reported earnings yeah, just, just this morning. Yep. So, uh, Michael, what, what did you notice in their earnings? Right. And I promise. We'll get to, we'll get to the question, um, but we want to kind of give you an overall sense of the, the, the stock, the opportunity, the threats, that sort of thing. Um, I mean, when I, when I looked at it, I know the market was really excited about it. I wasn't perhaps as excited about it. Um, you know, total revenue of 512 million, which has uh, declined from about 580 million in Q2 of 2013. Earnings per share declined as well year over year. Um, things seem to be turning around in a yeah. lot of ways. Um, but even so, you still had 96 systems sold yeah. as opposed to 143 same quarter last year. Yeah, and the, the decline was what 33 percent in terms yeah. of dollars. Yeah, a, a pretty a pretty substantial uh, amount of decline. And, and that said, you look at global procedures, right? Those were up 8 percent sequentially and 9 percent year over year. That's always a good sign. Um, this also reflected U.S. procedures were up 7 percent. International procedures were up 17 percent, mm-hmm. um, and that actually lapped the year-ago quarter when it was up 23%. So that's actually uh, an interesting and exciting, you know, growth opportunity for the company. Um, you know, also, they're, they're really focusing on strengthening their direct sales presence in Japan and Europe. Uh, again, targeting those outside of the U.S. markets. Mm-hmm. Um, so SG&A expenses increased, even though revenue declined, um, which helped take that chunk out of earnings. Um, you know, I'll say, you know, when, when I look at Intuitive, you know, it's trading at a price to earnings, trailing 12 months, about 34. Um, it's still a pretty pricey stock considering that you're not really seeing a ton of growth right now. In fact, you're even seeing declines. Yep. Um, and, and that's even with the fact that they bumped up their, their procedure expectations growth to 5 to 8% from 2 to 8% for the full year. I think what we've seen now is, is stabilization. Yeah. And I think that's why the market... Is, is, excited. is excited. The free fall has ended, hopefully. And, and so now it's how do you reignite that? Mm-hmm. And, and I think you know part of that question is, is sort of the macro environment as well. So right. you know, what are you seeing in the, the macro environment in terms of medical devices, in terms of hospital spending? Right. So uh, I'm going to let CEO, uh, Intuitive CEO, actually answer for me to start, and then I'll, I'll provide some it's color. Pretty good expert. Like, yeah, I, I like to think so. And he said, and I quote, we expect capital pressures on hospitals in most regions to continue. Um, and I think what this really reflects is a few things. Um, the first is, here in the United States, Medicaid expansion is uneven. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what that means is you've so got... about half the states. Exactly. So you've got uh, a number of states with very large populations and a lot of hospitals uh, and big systems in them, Texas, Florida, uh, states like that. And they, since they haven't expanded Medicaid... Um, you've got a lot of people falling into that sort of in-between spot. They are charity care cases in a lot of cases. Um, and so these um, hospitals are having to write off a fair amount of debt, and they're still getting hit by that. Um, so even though there seems to be some lift coming in from Obamacare, the Medicaid, Medicaid expansion has been uneven and lumpy, and that's just, I think, going to continue to be an issue until it's kind of resolved firmly. Um, the second piece, of course, is, well, the court cases that we talked about, right? I mean, hospitals are going to be comfortable with Obamacare, perhaps when the courts have to stop stepping in on one direction or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we're going to continue seeing uncertainty and worry about ca- CapEx expenses so long as any part of the Affordable Care Act is being litigated, and especially such a big part, like when you see um, you know, this, this whole issue with subsidies, subsidies in the exchanges. Um, thirdly, you know, when you look at the, the XI, their new... Um, their new uh, uh, platform. platform, the DaVinci XI, you know, the, it, 
costs about $2 million, kind of $1.85 to $2.3 million. Um, that's a lot of money. And when you look at a healthcare system, both here in the United States and also abroad, mm-hmm. where there's a lot of concern about spending, um, and we're seeing that with drugs, yep. um, whether they're going to be willing to shell out for something this big, I'm not sure about. Even though there are some studies indicating that, you know, the American Urological Association, there was a, a presentation there by Dr. Uh, uh, Dr. Murphy from the Victorian government in Australia, uh, and he said, you know, he looked at 5,000 patients and basically said, you know, robotic-assisted prostatectomy reduces hospital stay, blood transfusions, and positive surgical margin in a public health system in Australia. The incremental cost of robotic-assisted prostatectomy may be offset by reduced length of stay and blood transfusion when more than 140 cases are performed. And that echoes what UK's NICE saw mm-hmm. with uh, more than 150 procedures per year. So, and these are very cost-conscious organizations. Very. So, so so there's some opportunity there if you can get the scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think these are kind of the three things that folks need to be watching macro for intuitive surgical and the med, med, uh, med tech space. So moving back to intuitive surgical. Then. Sure. So given that system sales still are really the key growth driver because you've you got to sell the razors to, to, to move the blades, which is right. where they make the money. You know, how do you see intuitive turning that around? So, and, and, and again, looking at their numbers, you know, you had 61 sa- uh, sales in the U.S. and uh, 35 outside of the U.S., 19 in Europe, 5 in Japan. Um, and you really saw this uh, compared to 53 last year outside of the U.S. For, uh, uh, Japan was the big drop-off. You had 20 sales in Q2 of 2013, 5 this quarter. Um, and so uh, one of the things that they're doing is they're actually shifting um, their direct sales and marketing from uh, their distributor... Um, which is called Adachi, too intuitive. They're actually picking up some Adachi uh, employees. And their hope is that they can kind of drive these better um, relationships with the local surgical societies and the medical societies in Japan to help influence and strengthen their, um, their market share there and, and kind of get people more excited about Well, I think about outside it. U.S. growth is really going to be the key for intuitive at this point. Yeah, because inside the U.S., hospitals just don't have the CapEx budgets yep. for it right now. Uh, and yeah, then well. eventually just expanding into general surgery as well. Right. Well, and, and the other thing is when you look at um, Japan and Korea, the, the XI isn't yet ap- approved there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when you consider that 50 of the 96 ship systems in Q2 were XIs, it makes sense that they would want to uh, wait and maybe kind of evaluate that once they're um, – once they approve it. So that's really going to be kind of the, kind of the big thing that folks are going to be focusing on there, I think. Well, we'll, we'll definitely be watching. Absolutely. Forward, very close. Surgical is a very popular stock here yeah. in the office and I know in all of Fuldom as well. So <laughs> definitely one we'll be watching in upcoming quarters, but it's great to see that, that it looks like stabilization has been at least reached at this point. And that they're, they're, they're making some smart moves to try and, you know, they've been staffing up in Europe, great, staffing up yep, in Japan. They're trying, to, they're trying to find ways to go ahead and push that. Yep. All right. Well, Ryan, I hope that answered your question. Yeah. And we are now moving on to Tweet It, my, my favorite segment of the show. And our first tweet, comes from John Borman, and he writes, Breaking, man with large short position and even larger ego says stock is a short. (laughs) Now, this is in reference to Bill Ackman's epic presentation. Uh, It was over 250 slides. Mm -hmm. It was supposed to be a death blow to Herbalife. The longer he talked, the higher Herbalife shares went, though. Yeah, um, and, you know, $50 million spent on the investigation didn't seem to ever give quite the knockout punch people were um, people I think were anticipating. For well, him. he went on TV hyping it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. The, the day before, and Herbalife shares sold off the day before because everyone was concerned that he had a, a smoking gun. Yeah, and instead, what you saw was, you know, I think a, a, a lot of a lot of practices that raised questions, but nothing 
the, you know, there's just not there's not that much clarity when it comes to the legality. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a number of investigations, uh, Federal Trade Commission, uh, I think the state of New York, and, and a variety of others that Ackman has been kind of encouraging and pushing and, and trying to provide data for. But j- at least thus far, no smoking gun. Yeah, and so you know, I, th- I think it's just going to be business as usual with Herbalife, right? Yeah. You have these federal investigations mm-hmm. that they're an overhang. You have hedge funders who love the stock, like Carl Icahn. You have yep. hedge funders who hate it, like Bill Ackman, who is really crusading at this point. You know, I think the more he puts into it, he's got you know a billion dollar short position, but yeah. the more he puts into it in terms of time and resource, the more convinced he's going to be. But at the end of the day, it's just going to be whether these government agencies crack down on it or not, and if Herbalife. You know, gets maybe maybe there is some wrongdoing found, but the company only gets a slap on the wrist. Does that justify Ackman's bet? Right. You know, th- th- that's the other question at hand too. But certainly, you know, the words getting fired off between the two are <laughs> are harsh. Yeah, very I mean, harsh. He called the CEO a predator. I think yeah. he called Herbalife itself a uh, a criminal organization. Yeah. Uh, so really strong allegations, but no smoking gun. Well, and and ultimately, when you when you look at it, I think the 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 move here for foolish investors is you've got. Big people on both sides just duking it out. Why get in the middle of it? You know, there are other opportunities. There are other stocks that we're really excited about, that the market's really excited about. Why are we, why get in the middle of a big fight? Yeah, the underlying business is really strong. It's mm-hmm. sort of like a, a quest corner in that sense where uh, there's an overhang, but you take a look at the stock and the fundamentals and you say, wow, this is a great story. Yeah. So there could be a, a special situation there for investors who really, really adore risk. Yeah. But for pretty much all of us, I think it's 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 just a watch from the sidelines and enjoy the fireworks. Absolutely. All right. Well, our next tweet comes from Don Shimoda, and he says, "Per Credit Suisse, uh, these are the top ten biotechs, the top one hundred with the least." Slash most short interest. Now, I, I just took the the most shorted ones, and I have the list here: the top ten. It's Ariad. With 25.7% short interest, that's number one, followed by Exelixis, Agerion, Raptor, Carex, Horizon, PDL, Biopharma, Celdex, Orexigen, and Arena. Michael, why is Ariad number one on the hate list? I, well, and it, it all comes down to one word, which is eclusic. Um, you know, this drug works. There's no doubt about that. We yep. know that it works, but it has had uh, really big concerns with, again, a black box warning, which we've talked about previously. Yep. Blood clot uh, issues. Yeah, exactly. Substantial blood clot issues. It was pulled off the market and then put back on with much stronger warnings. Um, and a lot of the upside was taken out with that because this is now a drug largely of last resort. Um, and so people, I think, are really concerned, uh, or I think investors are really concerned about Ariad's future. Um, you know, sales have not been great. Uh, and it's largely, you know, their, their future is kind of largely based around Eclusig. It's true because the, the longer the de- disease progresses, the less time you will have patients on your drug as yeah. the last resort drug, mm-hmm. which, which it is and which it will probably stay at. Now, they are working uh, on a trial to see if they can lessen the dosage yeah. and use it combined with other drugs to alleviate the blood clot issue, mm-hmm. in which case it does have a chance to, to rebound in a major way. I do wonder if, if this short interest is a little late to the party, though. Yeah. So, you know, the stock's been beaten down so badly. So badly. I actually almost wonder if there's more chance of upside at this point in case that trial works out or there is some good news and they can expand into other indications. Mm. But if you were to buy one of these stocks, which are the 10 most hated, uh, according to Credit Suisse, 
uh, by short interest. Which one do you like? Uh, it, would, it would be Exalixis. Um, and that's because... I agree. That is a great <laughs> choice, Michael. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, but when you look at Exalixis, I mean, this is a stock with uh, a pipeline that isn't just one drug. It's got mm-hmm. multiple opportunities. The two biggest ones are uh, Cobimetinib, yep. uh, which recently um, had, some, had some good data with... Um, uh, with Roche, and then you've got Cometric, which is yep. really kind of the big opportunity. It's in uh, uh, medullary carcinoma right now, not really that that big of a market. The big question is whether it can expand into, into prostate cancer. Exactly. Some of these larger markets, it's got um, uh, peak sales estimates I've seen have gone as high as $1.7 billion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so th- the thing I like about Exelix is for a small biotech, it's got a fair bit in terms of its pipeline. Um, yep. It's got some opportunities. Big pharma partner with Roche? Absolutely. And um, and also, when you when you look at um, Kimetric, because it's going to be in a, a later um, indication, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily currently going to be fighting you know, uh, sort of tooth and nail with um, other prostate cancer drugs. Um, because, you know, the, the most recent, the ongoing trial is actually testing it after those drugs have already been used. Um, so that's a nice, uh, potentially broad area for it to go ahead and dominate. Which is why I think the market overreacted when they didn't stop the trial early, because it's yeah. not an apples-to-apples comparison in terms of its trial versus the other two, which were stopped early because they mm-hmm. were working so well. This is being used after those treatments. Which... So- May have worked very well, but yeah. <laughs> this is afterwards. Exactly. So, so yeah, it's it's a stock with some upside. I'm, uh, I, I think potentially I, it, one I'm watching very closely. Um, uh, me too. Me too. I think it could be a big turnaround story in this yeah. space. Uh, our final tweet comes from New York Times Health, which may have turned into the Onion or been taken over by the <laughs> Onion. The tweet is: A man realizes he is projecting his feelings about his mother onto his dog. Michael, do you project feelings <laughs> about your friends and relatives onto your pets? Well, I don't own any pets. My apartment doesn't let me. So, so I, ca- I, I literally cannot. However, no. Just no. I clicked on the, the link I had to. Yeah, of course. You it can't was, resist. I, I almost didn't want to spoil it because the tweet was so perfect. But it yeah. was basically about going to a therapist with his pet to better their relationship. Um, I don't really have a whole lot to say on top of that. I don't really know what to say. Yeah. I, you know, I do project, I guess, maybe a little. On my, I have a French bulldog, Frank, mm-hmm. uh, but it's usually not feelings about, about my, my friends or family. Fair Honestly, enough. I just think he, uh, he understands every word that I'm saying in English. Gotcha. Well, there we go. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for watching Where the Money Is, everyone. Uh, tomorrow we'll have the energy edition of the show, and check us out on Market Checkup on Fool.com. And thanks for watching and Fool on.